Well, this is a bold move. They went out and got their guy. This makes them scary. There is no bigger change in Mookie Betts. The Red Sox sent the former MVP to an already powerful Dodgers team, but they're only guaranteed one season with him. Can they finally capture a World Series after 32 years? LA also acquired former Cy Young winner David Price in that mega trade, but he's decided to sit this one out. The Angels made a major move by adding Anthony Rendon to their roster. The all-star third baseman will take his World Series ring out to the West Coast to team up with arguably the league's most versatile player, Shohei Otani, and the league's reigning MVP, the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, as they look to end the Angels' playoff drought. The face of the Giants pitching staff and three-time World Series champion Madison Bumgarner left the Bay Area, but he stayed within the division, signing with the Diamondbacks. And how about Garrett Cole? He went from one American League powerhouse to another, signing with the Yankees, fulfilling a lifelong dream. The Yankees may have the ideal pitching staff to contend for a World Series with Cole alongside Luis Severino and Masahiro Tanaka. What's going on, everyone? Welcome. It is Saturday, July 25th, 2020. Thank you for joining me today. Okay, I was going to do the episode yesterday. I actually really wanted to do it ahead of the season because that clip there was sort of a preview to the 2020 season with all the changes, all the trades and such, uh, so on and so forth with the uh, free agent signing of Rendon to the Angels and Cole to the Yankees. But opening day is in the books officially. We had games on Thursday to open up to kick off the season, two games there, and then you had a bevy of games yesterday. And you've got a bevy of games going on today as well with games kicking off right now, one o'clock Eastern time where I'm coming at you from. Okay, so we got a lot to discuss and we're going to start, keep it here with baseball. Okay, and we are going to start with the Blue Jays. So the season has started, guys, and the Blue Jays finally, I believe they, uh, they, covered the kinks on this one yesterday after the season had started. Here's what it comes down to. The Blue Jays did not have a home ballpark for the 2020 season. The Canadian government denied the team's request for approval to play their games in Toronto's Rogers Center because of concerns over the teams that would be crossing the border to come into Toronto amid the coronavirus pandemic. Then there was talks that they were given permission to go play in Pittsburgh, but not so fast. The state of Pennsylvania then rejected that plan. So then the Blue Jays were scrambling to find a home literally as the season was underway. Granted, they had a few, they have a few days or had a few days to, to cover this one because they don't officially have a home game until the 29th. And so there was reports that maybe they were going to go to Baltimore uh, to play at Camden Yards with the Orioles. But in the end, it ends up being that they are going to their AAA minor league stadium in Buffalo, New York. I saw uh, Hartford, Connecticut. They have a minor league team there. The mayor was tweeting at the Blue Jays saying that they're welcome to come play there because Connecticut, along with uh, New Jersey and New York now anyway, have sort of gotten this virus for the most part under control and we're seeing some of the lower numbers in this uh you know tri-state area so yeah just crazy 
Uh, whirlwind couple of days. Blue Jays players, their families, I'm sure, have just been trying to scramble and figure out where they're going to live or spend the majority of their time for this uh, two-month season. So luckily, they figured it out um, in the final hour, really, and they will play in Buffalo. Okay, and I, I heard that a couple of series that they have, they might be playing as the home team at Yankee Stadium and maybe against the Nationals as well. I don't know how true that is, but that's that's one thing I heard. Um, okay, next up, Mookie Betts and the Dodgers. They agreed to a ridiculous 12-year, $365 million extension with a $65 million signing bonus. Sorry, all you Mets fans who thought Steve Cohen was going to buy the team and then go sign Mookie Betts as a free agent. Not going to happen. The Dodgers get their man. When you factor in his current one-year $27 million deal, the total comes to a whopping 13 years, $392 million. Oh, my God. Which does, in fact, if you were wondering, it does top Mike Trout's previous extension record of $360 million. Still a little ways to go to catch up to Pat Mahomes, though, of course. Uh, here's Mookie Betts on the historic signing and what it means to be in L.A. now. Just being here, the time I've been here, the, the people here, made me feel so comfortable. The town up, all up and down, everybody in the front office from, from the owner on down. I mean, everybody's amazing. This organization is, is a well machine and super, super excited to be a part of it for the next 12, 13 years, however many years it is. And, I mean, like I said, we've got to bring some rings back to uh, L.A. for sure. Yeah, uh, this does not work unless they can finally get over the hump, the Dodgers, and win a couple of World Series titles. Okay, now back to baseball. Finally, opening day. You had the Washington Nationals, the World Series champion Washington Nationals, hosting the New York Yankees, who are one of the top two favorites besides the Dodgers to win the World Series this in this shortened season. Okay, so about five hours before, let me actually let me back this up slightly. Finally, on Tuesday, I had my uh, fantasy baseball draft. Right now, it was supposedly last week. I think I might have mentioned it on on the episode last week's episode, but uh, we get into the draft last week. It is a 12-team league, and I have the number one pick. Usually, you don't find out till the draft room opens um, 30 minutes before the draft. I have the number one pick. There's two guys, I think, that were on auto draft because they hadn't joined, and the commissioner's trying to get in touch with them, and he's talking about how he's going to uh, put the draft on a 15-minute hold, whatever. Um, but there was also issues with the Yahoo servers getting into at first 30 minutes before I was able to get in the draft. Then all of a sudden I couldn't get in the draft like 10 minutes before the draft. And then finally the servers were back working. I could get back in. So there was a, a bunch of scrambling going on there. So then I have the first pick. Those two guys aren't there. He's like, I'm going to pause the draft. I'm going to pause the draft. I didn't do much research, but I'm like, all right, let me take Trout, the number one player in baseball, right? Whatever. I know he's possibly going to miss some time because he's got the birth of his you know, first child. So I take Trout. And then all of a sudden, the draft gets put on pause. And I'm a little mad because why did I have to make my pick, right? Not only that, all of a sudden, we get kicked out of the draft and... The draft gets rescheduled because this one guy wasn't able to make it. So then fast forward to this past Tuesday, we have the draft. It was like the longest freaking draft of all time. 26 rounds. I don't know why he has 
our league set up so differently with like you need five outfielders and like five starting pitchers. It's just ridiculous. 26 rounds. And I go from the first pick now, jump back in on Tuesday, and I have the dead last pick, number 12. And I was absolutely fuming because I did not believe that that was fair. He should have reset the draft to the proper or uh, draft order that it was originally. So now I lose out on Mike Trout, and I have the 12th pick. Well, who do I take with, the, with my 12th pick? I have back-to-back picks. I take Juan Soto. And guess what we found out five hours before opening day on Thursday night? Juan Soto tested positive for coronavirus, and he was going to miss opening day. Granted, not the biggest deal because, of course, Garrett Cole on the mound, just an absolute beast. So not the worst idea, but he has to test negative now twice. And who knows? He could miss multiple weeks. Just um, I did read today that I that he I believe he tested negative once so far, and he was asymptomatic, according to GM uh, Mike Rizzo. So that is good. But here's the problem that baseball has right now. Juan Soto did not take that test on Thursday ahead of the game. No, he took it, I believe, on Wednesday. Uh, no, excuse me, Tuesday. And then he practiced with the team that day and possibly Wednesday and then doesn't get the results till Thursday. So he comes in contact with all of these players on the team who possibly now have COVID virus, okay, because their tests on Thursday weren't going to on game day. We're not going to come back till about Friday. So far, I haven't heard anything, which is good. Um, goes back to Araldis Chapman on the New York Yankees. He had it, interacted with players. Luckily, no one else had it. So hopefully they're able to contain that. But this is a huge problem that baseball has. And you heard Sean Doolittle of the Nationals prior to the season talk about that. He he made that exact point. We're taking this test and then we're not getting the results the same day and we're going and interacting and practicing with players. Then we don't find out the results for two to three days. So they need to clean that up or we will not have a baseball season. Okay, there was a couple uh, well, I'll get to, to uh, well, let me just say it now because I'll probably forget. A couple Braves players, uh, catchers that were experiencing flu-like symptoms, so they made them stay back in Atlanta when they made the trip to New York to play the Mets uh, yesterday. So just a lot going on with this virus. Granted, the numbers have been relatively low, which is a good sign, but man, we need to be able to get these results same day or it's all for naught. Okay, so back to opening day. Just a big bummer for me that there would be no Juan Soto. Um, before the game, we had some pregame ceremonies. Uh, both teams knelt in solidarity of Black Lives Matter while holding a black ribbon that was provided by Major League Baseball. This um, was a ceremony that every team that uh, I have learned has started doing uh, prior to opening day. It is not the national anthem. So while players knelt there, they were not kneeling, uh, at least in the Yankees and Nationals game, they did not kneel during the national anthem. Now, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he did throw out the first pitch, and it was well uh, memorable. The 79-year-old threw one of the worst first pitches of all time. It certainly got the Twitterverse talking shades of 50 cent. Just go look that up. It is an all-time classic first pitch ever uh, by 50. And Anthony Fauci, he had some jokes on Friday, tried to say he grew up playing shortstop, and he thought he was supposed to throw to first base. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but anyway, he's set to now get his own baseball card and 
all this stuff. Now, him and Trump have kind of been feuding and going back at each other a little bit. And it's interesting because now Trump was asked by Yankees president um, Randy Levine to throw out the first pitch on August 15th. And so he will be doing that at Yankee Stadium. So it will be I'll be interested to see if he's able to throw a strike because he has done this before throwing out the first pitch at a Phillies game, and he did pretty darn good. And Trump touted his baseball skills growing up, said he was a pretty good first baseman. So I'd love to see what the president has in store on the 15th. Okay, back to the actual game. The Yankees would jump on Max Scherzer early. Of course, this I didn't get the numbers as far as viewership, but opening night, Max Scherzer versus Garrett Cole, two of the most dominant pitchers in baseball just had to break so many records in terms of people sitting at home and watching this game. Of course, no fans in attendance. Uh, first inning, John Carlos Stanton cranks a two-run shot, an absolute moon shot from, um, from Stanton. I think it traveled 459, 469 feet. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, interesting to note, though, Judge was on second base after a single, and it appeared that he did, in fact, give Giancarlo Stanton some signs over there at second base. He put his hand out uh, signaling one for fastball, and Stanton just obliterated it. I did see Judge do that later when he was on second after an RBI double. So um, interesting to note there, Astros players, if you're, you know, if you're watching, if you were watching this, take note, that's how you properly steal signs. That is well within the realm of baseball. And then of course, somewhere, you know, John Sterling was screaming, John Carlo, no si posto parlo. That's his, of course, John Carlo Stanton home run call um, in Italian there. But yeah, so that would be all the run support in the first inning that Garrett Cole would really need. He dominated in this one, but I wouldn't say dominated to the point of, you know, prime time Garrett Cole midseason form. And I'm sure he would even admit that he was a little rusty. The first inning did give up a single hit, which came off the bat of Adam Eaton in that bottom of the first inning. It did prove to be a home run. Um, just one more quick thing on Stanton's home run. He becomes the first DH in a National League park to hit a home run. Of course, they adopted the DH for the National League this season. Okay. Um, What else? Okay, so the game ended up going into a rain delay in the sixth inning for like over an hour until they finally decided to call the game. New rules this year when they call the game because it went five innings, that's the ball game. They don't restart or anything like that. So the Yankees get the win. In the books, it officially goes as a five-inning complete game, one hitter, four Garrett Cole, he had five strikeouts. Max Scherzer, on the other hand, he gave up um, four runs. They lose four to one there. It was a the two-run homer by Stanton, an RBI double by Judge, who had, uh, I think, two hits in this one, and then Stanton with another RBI single. So Stanton had three of the four RBIs. And there, if there's one guy that stands to benefit the most from not having fans in the ballparks, it is in fact, John Carlos Stanton, because the booze he would receive at Yankee Stadium and, and the players, excuse me, the fans who, you know, think that the contract, he's not living up to the hype of the contract, basically missed all of last season, etc. If this guy stays healthy, look out for the Yankees to win a World Series. Now, here is Cole talking about 
his first start in a Yankee uniform and what it meant for him pitching on opening day in front of no fans. Take a listen. There are negatives about it relative to what opening day would normally be like, but I don't know. I mean, I had so much fun, so I wasn't focusing on any of those things. It was different without the fans, for sure. A bit challenging, maybe at times when you're like scanning typically the crowd and then you're scanning empty seats. So, but we had a blast. The, the dugout was great. It was just, I had so much fun being a part of it. Garrett Cole, his voice, it sounds like a little kid. Like he's just so giddy and so just happy to be in the moment and to be a baseball player. I love that. And I look for him to dominate throughout the rest of the season. Um, in the nightcap, we had the Giants and Dodgers facing off in L.A. Of course, Mookie Betts making his debut with the Dodgers after signing that historic deal. Now, here's where we got to see some players kneel. We saw the we saw Mookie Betts kneel with a couple players, I think Max Muncy and um, Cody Bellinger with their hands on his shoulders. We saw a couple players on the Giants kneel. Now, like I said in the Nats and Yanks game and what I later found out, every game was doing this. MLB provided teams with a long black ribbon that players on both sides jointly held as they kneeled in unity or knelt in unity during a pregame ceremony. I think Morgan Freeman came over the PA announcer and he was, you know, there was this little short film that he was talking uh, about. Well, every player that I know so far has kneeled or knelt during that ceremony. Well, Giants pitcher Sam Coonrod, the 27-year-old relief pitcher, did not kneel, and he was the only player that refused to do so, saying that as a Christian, he can't kneel before anything besides God. So that was intriguing, to say the least. And he said there's some um, Black Lives Matters things that he does not agree with and cannot get behind or support. So, hey, more power to him. Uh, This resonated with a lot of people because he went from 12,000 followers to overnight to about 40,000, and I'm sure he's got a heck of a lot more right now. Um, And I didn't uh, personally did not know this guy, who he was, Sam Coonrod, until this moment, and not saying that that's what he was trying to do, but now he is going to become a household name because he chose to go against the grain of course, his manager, Gabe Kapler, said that um, you know it was totally voluntary and they support his decision. Well, what I love about the San Francisco Giants is how hypocritical they are because they're going to let Sam Coonrod go against the Black Lives Matter movement, but Aubrey Huff, who doesn't agree with it, who won them two World Series championships and who has been an outspoken conservative Donald Trump supporter, can't go back to a World Series reunion because of those beliefs. So what side do they lie on? Okay, this is totally hypocritical of them, and shame on the San Francisco Giants. Okay, um, back to the actual game. I had to go to bed early. I did bet on this one. I needed the Dodgers to win by two runs, so I went to bed when it was tied one-to-one. Luckily, I woke up to see that Kike Hernandez went absolutely berserk four for five with a home run and the Dodgers did go on to win eight to one. But the storyline in this one was that um, 
Clayton Kershaw was scratched last minute. I think he hurt his back in the weight room. He's been placed since he's since been placed on the IL and filling in for him was rookie Dustin May. This ginger bearded freak of an athlete just throwing missiles from a little three quarter arm slot, wild movement. He became just the fourth rookie to start on opening day for the Dodgers. Um, but look out because this guy is a rising star. He had some nasty stuff. And again, the Dodgers are going to be one to watch out for in the National League. If I had to put my money gun to my head right now, I'm saying Dodgers, Yankees, World Series. You could book that. And uh, if you want to bet on that, you can. I threw some money on the Yankees to win the World Series. But what's good is I won my first couple bets. I jumped on the Yankees, 50 bucks to win on opening day. There was a nice little boost on FanDuel, so I won 55 there. And then I got a free bet on DraftKings, and I threw that on the Dodgers to win minus one and a half, and that worked out too. So that is, uh, you know, nice opening day. I was mad because... Um, I was going to bet yesterday a little bit on the Mets, and I really should have because as a team with the best opening day record, uh, like 38-12, and they just somehow always win on opening day. Now, before I get to that game, because I do want to mention that, real quick, also on Thursday night, the MLB and Players Association agreed to expand the postseason to 16 games for this season. Um, so what exactly or how exactly this this will work and uh, is as follows. I'm going to break it down because Rob Manfred during that Nationals-Yankees game came on the air to explain this breakdown of how it's going to work and how teams are going to make the playoffs. Uh, so what he said and how he explained it is the first and second place teams from each division plus the two wildcard teams from each league will make the playoffs. So eight teams from the National League eight teams from the American League. You would think that the teams in first place, the division winners, would get buys like normal. Absolutely not. Uh, And this is the scary part. The division winners will play in the wildcard round, and it will be played as follows. The wildcard series will be a best of three with all games at the higher seeds home ballpark. So if the Yankees win the AL East and they have to play, say, the I don't know, the Texas Rangers in the wild card round, right? Because they were one of the wild card teams. Then the Yankees would play, they would play all three games at Yankee Stadium, eliminating any sort of travel days. Now, is that an advantage without fans? Not really. And in a best of three game series, who the heck knows what would happen? Uh, but the Yankees are no stranger to a you know one game wild card playoff. They've won it twice, so I don't see a problem there. But it could be a problem for some other teams. Then fast forward after the wild card series, you get the division series. Okay, uh, excuse me, sorry. The wild card series seating will be uh, it will go traditional one versus eight, two versus seven, three, six, four, five, etc. Then you have the division series, which will expand to a five game series with traditional. Uh, travel day in between. You'll have two games uh, at the home team uh, for the higher seeded uh, team. Then you'll go two games on the road. And then if it comes to a fifth game, obviously the team with the better record, who's the high, when I say higher seeded, I mean like lower seeded basically. So, you know, the one seed would get the home game for game five versus the, you know, eight seed or the, uh, yeah, four or five seed. Um, and then, you have the league championship series, the LCS. 
That will be a best of seven with traditional 2-3-2 home road format. Winner of 1-4 and 5-8 versus the winner of 2-3-6-7 home field advantage obviously goes to the higher seed yet again. And then the World Series, obviously you know how that works. Best of seven, that goes 2-3-2, two games for the uh, for the higher seed, three games on the road. If it comes to it, two more games at home. AL champion, NL champion, and... Um, like I said, the wild card round is going to make it very interesting. And that's why I think they're expanding it to 16 teams because it's going to be really fun to watch. And it's almost got a feel of like a sweet 16 where any team, anything could happen in like a one game, uh, playoff here or one game, you know, one game, anything could happen in one game. But when you factor in three games, Oh man, all you have to do is just win two and any team could get lost. The, the Rays, a team like the Rays, they could upset the Yankees if Garrett Cole has an off day, you know, if Paxton's hurt, if somebody gets COVID last minute in the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be intriguing. So anyway, let's move on and let's recap yesterday's games because I want to get through this and watch the slew of games that are currently going on. Check out my fantasy team, how they're doing. All right, so yesterday, First game of the day at 4 p.m. would be the Mets hosting the Braves. Now, I have to talk about something real quick because it shook my hometown um, last weekend on Sunday night. Over on the other side of town, not not very far from me, about five to six minute drive over by where some of my friends uh, still currently live, about a mile from where they are. There is a family, I did not know this, a federal judge Esther Salas. Um, her husband is a criminal defense attorney and they have a 20 year old son, avid baseball player. Um, always grew up, you know, going to, um, to workouts at a place that I grew up going to and my dad and my sister work out of. And my dad would see the family all the time, say hi to the mother, very nice, et cetera, et cetera. Well, a sick son of a gun by the name of Roy Den Hollander. I'm sure everybody has heard this story by now. It made national news headlines last Sunday. I was on the golf course at the time that this happened, actually. And he dressed up this guy as a FedEx driver, pulled up to the house, went up to the door, knocked this 20-year-old son, who was a, I think, junior going into his junior or senior year at uh, Catholic University University down in DC and he opens the door to a slew just a, a just horrible horrible man who decided to pull out a gun and open fire on this 20 year old his father was right behind him in the doorway and he excuse me was also shot multiple times unfortunately uh Daniel Andler the son died on the scene and the father was rushed to the hospital, Mark Andler, and he has gone through multiple surgeries and I haven't heard much since, but I believe he is doing okay and he is going to make it, but just a tragic moment in, in I mean, just something that does not happen where I live, just absolutely redonkulous. Um, go a town or two over and yeah, this stuff, this sort of stuff happens, but this is like insane. I didn't even know she's a, she's the first Hispanic Latina woman to ever be appointed to, to, 
to be a federal judge in the state of New Jersey. Just incredible, incredible. And I had no clue that this family was living in my backyard, essentially, in my hometown. Just really cool, but just so tragic um, that this 20-year-old with his whole life ahead of him had to die. Now, what gets the conspiracy theorists going, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll keep it, I'll wrap it up soon, was the fact that um, she was just assigned four days prior to this Deutsche Bank uh, case that they were being sued by all these um, investors or whatever, um, and, and it had ties to Jeffrey Epstein, so that raises your eyebrows a little bit. Now, the, the FBI got involved immediately. Everybody started talking about how they're going to have to go back through the lives of both her husband as a criminal defense attorney and her life because she is a high-profile federal judge. She famously put that New Jersey housewives couple um, uh, in jail for bank fraud, okay? And she, you know, she put a a criminal, a, a huge, you know, gang leader in prison for forty-five years. And of course, you have the husband, Mark Andler, who is, you know, a high-profile criminal defense attorney. He could have pissed some people off. So they talk about how they're going to go through. It's going to take a long time. They have to go back years to figure out, you know, what the motive might have been here, or there. Then, of course, just out of nowhere, the next day. They find this guy dead up in the Catskills, self-inflicted gunshot wound, FedEx package right next to him. Just all stuff that seems very shady, like he could have been a patsy, you know, sort of. I'm not speculating. The guy was clearly a nut job. He was an anti-feminist attorney himself. He was dying of cancer, okay? He appeared before Judge Esther Salas, and he also uh, wrote racist stuff on his website about her. At just sick. And also they linked him to a two weeks ago or three weeks ago, a killing of another high profile anti-feminist type lawyer over in uh, California who was also killed by a FedEx impersonator. And then when they found his body, apparently he had a picture of another judge or attorney that maybe he was planning on killing. So just an absolute nut. Um, but Maybe that's what they want us to believe. I don't know. But either way, this story rocked my town, and I could not believe it because I was watching. I was turning on the tele- CNN, and I was seeing you know, my friend's dad, who is the mayor, and he's literally on CNN on, on a, you know, um, a WebEx call w- with CNN. It's just absolutely incredible. I feel terrible for this family. I don't know how you recover from something like this. Judge Esther Salas was in the basement at the time of the shooting, and she was okay, unharmed, survived. We don't know if she was the target or not, but this sort of story has died down a little bit, and I have to do some more research on it. But wow, just shocked the world. Uh, Daniel was an avid, huge Mets fan. So before the game, the Mets had a moment of silence for him, which was awesome. Okay. And then back to the game, the Mets would go on to beat the Braves one to nothing. Jacob deGrom was insanely dominant once again, five innings, eight strikeouts, no pitch under 90 miles an hour. And I knew, um, that he was on a pitch count about I pro- I knew he was going to go about 5 innings. I saw a bet over six and a half strikeouts. I should have taken it. Uh I just didn't and I was going to take the Mets to win as well. They would get the victory on a it was 0-0 throughout much of this game, but lo and behold, the hero of this one would be Yoannis Cespedes, who hasn't played in about 2 years. He provided the single 
powerful home run shot, and the Mets get it done yet again on opening day, one to nothing. And if that wasn't impressive enough of a performance, head on over to the Cubs and Brewers at Wrigley Field. Kyle Hendricks throws this season's first complete game shutout against the Brew Crew in a three to nothing victory. He is the first Cubs pitcher to throw an opening day complete game shutout since 1974. And of his nine strikeouts on the day, his fastest pitch all game, just 89.3 miles per hour. We love to see the velocity. I watched every game I watched. You're seeing Garrett Cole. You're seeing this guy, May. They're all touching 97, 98, 99, sometimes 100 miles an hour. And it seems like everywhere you turn, there's a guy in the bullpen throwing 100. So awesome to see a guy like Hendricks who's doing it with movement, location, you know, keeping the ball down, just smart baseball acumen, and he's a very, very smart pitcher. Reminds me a lot of Greg Maddox, another former Cub, okay? And not uncommon for him. He has, last couple seasons, lived in the in the low 90s or high 80s, just touched 80, uh, 90 miles an hour in three starts last year. That's it. And also, some peculiar stuff that we saw over at first base, Anthony Rizzo handing out uh, some sanitizer to players that reached first from the Brewers. That was interesting. I don't know. You're not really going to be sanitizing on the baseball field, but that was funny. And hey, it, it worked out for him because he did end up hitting a home run in the eighth inning. Okay. Next up, you had the... Uh, actually, let me recap some of the other games before I get to the nightcap because I did watch that whole Angels and A's game. So I will give you more on that in just a second. So, okay. You had the Reds beating the Tigers 7-1. to I know Joey Votto hit a big home run in that one. You had the Blue Jays surprisingly beating the Rays. Charlie Morton got beat up for a tagged for at least four or five runs. Bo Bichette had himself, I think, a three-run homer. You had the excuse me, the Marlins beating the Phillies 5-2. I don't think I even know any players on the Marlins right now, but they upset the Phillies' Aaron Nola, who is my star pitcher on my fantasy team. Not not a great start. Uh, D.D. Gregorius, another player on my fantasy team, did homer in this one in his Phillies debut. You had the Indians beating the Royals 2 to nothing. Shane Bieber, not re- no relation to Justin Bieber, but making the start for Cleveland. Absolute dominating performance. Um, he took the strikeout trophy for the day, uh, in opening day. He had 14 of them in, I think, six innings. By the fifth inning, he had 12 strikeouts, which tied a opening day record for a Cleveland Indian starter. So absolutely insane performance there. Um, just gave up, gave up just a couple of hits. Uh, you had the Red Sox just destroying the Orioles 13 to 2. JD Martinez was like three for five in that game. You had the Rangers beating the Rockies one to nothing. They would score that lone run in the uh sixth inning. I think Rudinan Odor had an RBI double in this one, and they would blank the Rockies. Then you had the Twins beating the White Sox 10 to 5. Lucas Giolito got tagged big time early in that one. And then you had the Cardinals beating the Pirates 5 to 4. Oh, wow. We have a bit of breaking news. I have to pause the show momentarily to announce right here first that the New York Knicks are hiring 
Tom Thibodeau as their next head coach. Last I heard yesterday, Jason Kidd jumped ahead as the uh, front runner to take this job. But no, Tom Thibodeau, Tibbs, will be the next New York Knicks head coach. Uh, I'm sorry, Tibbs, um, but you got your work cut out for you, and good luck there, buddy. Anyway, back to baseball. Like I said, cards beat the Pirates 5-4. The Astros beat the Mariners 8-2. Unbelievable. The Astros are going to get a pass this year with not having any fans to deal with, with the booze and all of that good stuff. So they have a good chance to uh, get back to the postseason and make, you know, do some damage. You had the Padres beating the Diamondbacks 7-2. Paddock had a very good start there uh, on opening day for the Padres. Of course, you had the Dodgers beating the Giants in their second game, 9-1. to Max Muncy was 3-for-5 with a couple of home runs. Another player on my fantasy team, so that's what I love to see. Now, Angels and A's. I watched this whole game. It was back and forth, low scoring. Andrew Heaney getting the start, you know, for, for the for the uh, Angels and, and uh, going up against uh, Montes for for the uh, for the A's, uh, Frankie Montas, and it was a good one throughout. A low scoring. Um, the Angels were down three to two in the ninth, and Liam Hendricks, who was absolutely a hundred percent dominant, perfect last year with save opportunities. He gives up a home run for the tie. They go to extra innings. Coincidentally, this was the first extra inning game of the season. And in the 10th inning, the Angels found themselves in trouble. Bases loaded after a walk, a one-out walk to Chris Davis. Matt Olson comes to the plate and absolutely bless a no-doubt-about-it walk-off grand slam. As a result, the outfield is playing that way. Olson, and that will do it. Oh, Bubba. One pitch, game over. History made in Oakland. Runner starts at second, and he hits a grand slam walk-off. Who needs a bunt? <laughs> you got Matt Olson in your back pocket, even against the lefty. First pitch. We've been critical. I've been critical. It's being aggressive. Get a guy out of the bullpen, and Matt Olson crushes this one to end it. History made in Oakland. It was the first walk-off Grand Slam on opening day since 1986. And like I said, the first extra inning game of the season. So, so far, Major League Baseball opening day was a success on Thursday and Friday. And I, like I said, I look forward to watching uh, games all throughout the weekend. Listen, sports are back, baby. Baseball is back. What more can you ask for? It is July, and we are finally seeing baseball. You have the Cubs and Brewers live right now. You have the Red Sox-Orioles coming up a little bit later. I just love it. Yankees coming up tonight again in, in, uh, in D.C. Just awesome. Let's pivot here and let's talk NFL because we're 38 minutes in and we've got to talk some NFL, some NBA, and a little bit of some other stuff here and there. So I'll try to breeze through this a little bit. Now, uh, the players uh, on Monday, players from the Texans and Chiefs reported for COVID testing, rookies, selected vet uh, veterans, and some quarterbacks. The league and NFLPA have, at the time did not agree on safety protocols, and players were not happy. Several of them took to Twitter on Sunday using the hashtag, we want to play. Uh, we have since seen them 
uh, come up with sort of protocols and such. I did see today that there's going to be zero incentive. Usually if you make a Pro Bowl, you get some monetary incentive. That is not the case this year. That's going out the window. So I don't see a lot of guys wanting to play in the Pro Bowl. So that's something to look out for. Um, here's Jeremy Fowler with more about these uh, safety protocols that the players wanted in place. It all works around a potential grievance filed from the NFLPA over unsafe working conditions. If they go that route, if rookies show up this week and they feel like there are too many positive tests or the situation is not ideal for those young players in the Houston Texans camp, Kansas City Chiefs, wherever, then the PA could file this grievance and then things sort of shut down. It buys some veteran players some time because they don't have to report until around July 28th. That's when maybe players would say, look, we're just not going to show up for now. Go on a mini strike. And then you have the, not only the preseason at stake, but week one of the regular season. The players wanted daily testing. Of course, protocols like, like they have in MLB and NBA right now, they will be, there will be required daily testing. And for the first two weeks of training camp, after that, if the positive test rate is below 5%, that's right, the league will scale back testing to every other day. Like I said, though, again, with baseball, they need to get this testing done so where you, you're getting the results same day. Otherwise, it's kind of for naught. Um, preseason games, that, that's the big thing I wanted to get to get to, guys. The preseason has officially been canceled, and training camp rosters have been capped at 80 players, whereas it's normally 90 before they whittle it down to the final 50-man roster. Um, but there is still work to be done. Here's Dan Graziano with more. You talk to coaches, you talk to executives that say it's going to be too difficult. You talk to others who will say, you know what, look, it's the same thing for everybody, and the teams that can adapt the best uh, are going to be at an advantage. So a little bit of a varied reaction. In terms of the players, they really want their questions answered about, you know, what happens to my contract if I don't feel comfortable playing, uh, but so far so good on a, a number of other issues that they wanted, including the daily testing, at least at the beginning, and, and the lack of the preseason games. Okay, you also, so there's that. Also, just absolutely laughable pivoting here now to the Washington Redskins. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm apparently not supposed to call them the Washington Redskins. No, because they are going to take their time with picking a new team name. And until they do so, for the 2020 season at least, they are calling themselves the Washington football team. And I am not making this up. This is legit. This is for real. This is not a prank. This is not a joke. Uh, this is a laughable embarrassment if I am the Washington Reds. I thought my New York Jets were an embarrassment. You have freaking Jamal Adams over here like a crybaby running to the snake of all snakes in Manish Mehta of the Daily News to report how he hates Adam Gase and Adam Gase isn't a true leader. And Joe Douglas told me that you're going to pay me and now you won't. Like, this is just my team I thought was a joke, but the Redskins are the joke of all jokes. And that says a lot because we, we're talking about a league that has the Cleveland Browns in it and they're pretty bad. Okay, but here's the deal. This is going to be temporary until they go through this rebrand and find a new team name. The problem here is there's some guy in Maryland that has like 44, uh, you know, he owns the rights to 44 different names. And so they're going to have to go to court. They're going to have to deal with this guy or somebody else that owns the naming rights to the team that they want. I'm hearing that Washington Sentinels 
is like a front runner that they're going to like use possibly in 2021 once they figure this all out. That is hysterical as well because obviously there is a Keanu Reeves movie called The Replacements where he's like a washed up quarterback that comes out of retirement to lead this team to to victory in in this, you know, fake NFL league or whatever and they're called the Washington Sentinels. So that's got its jokes amongst jokes. I I mean this is embarrassing. If I was a Redskins player, eh, eh, oh hey, man, hey, uh, you know, hey Chase Young, I see you got drafted by by that team in Washington. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, oh yeah, uh, the Washington Football Team. That wait, what? What team do you play for? I play for the Washington Football Team. Yeah, I know you play in Washington, but what's your team name? No, man, our team name is the Washington. Like it, it's it doesn't even make sense. I mean, really? They used the name for 87 years, people. What's one more going to hurt? This is pathetic. I don't care if I'm offending anybody because I am not using this word, this name, in a derogatory connotation whatsoever. I'm using it to call the team by what they should be called. This is their name. They're they're the team from Washington called the damn Redskins. Wake up and smell the coffee, people. What is the world turning to right now that we can't even call a football team by its true name? I mean, my God. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It just... Basically, this buys them time, whether it's to figure out the name, whether it's to work on getting a trademark that someone else currently has on a name that they might want, however that's going to go, but reduces the possibility of rushing into a decision that they don't like or will end up regretting. So they're going to go with Washington football team, old style numbers on the helmet. The uniforms look pretty good, keeping the color scheme, but uh, the name is on hold until probably at least next offseason. Here's some good news for the Washington Redskins. Former quarterback Alex Smith, who had that devastating broken leg two years ago, has officially been cleared to return to full football activity. Uh, this is amazing news because he, we, we know back to that E60 documentary, he almost lost his leg entirely. It almost was amputated. Okay, It almost cost him his life even. Now, nearly two years later, his goal of returning to the NFL is almost a reality. He was cleared by his surgical team to return to full football activity on Friday. He's expected to report to the team's facility on Monday and undergo a physical. The team then can determine how best to move forward. What's interesting about this is, obviously, they have Dwayne Haskins. I'm not sold on him right now. Will they consider uh, I don't trading uh, Alex Smith to a to a team like maybe the uh, L.A. Chargers. I mean, is Alex Smith legitimately going to be ready to actually play in games in 2020? I find it hard to believe because without the with the lack of preseason games, it doesn't even look like Cam Newton's going to win the starting job in New England off the bat. So I don't know, but that's just amazing news there. And um, it you know it takes away a little bit from this fiasco that is the name change. Okay, uh, let's talk real quick. The Memorial Tournament, we saw Tiger Woods just barely make the cut. He did not contend in this one at all. It would be John Rahm winning by three strokes. He did hole in on 16 with, I think, a two-stroke lead. It was getting a little dicey there. Uh, it was for birdie, but later on, after he was declared the winner, no, they reviewed 
the shot, and it turned out that he actually moved the ball before he hit it, resulting in a two-stroke penalty. But again, it didn't even matter. John Rahm, just 25 years old, he now moves into the world number one ranking, becoming just the second Spaniard ever. Uh, Sevi Ballesteros was the other one. And he is the fifth youngest player to reach world number one since the official world golf rankings were established in 1986. I'm sure you could guess who some of the others were. Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, and of course, like I said, Tiger Woods. Okay, let's talk some NBA. This bubble is just ha- has not been working out well. as t- In terms of COVID tests coming back positive, yes, it's done a fantastic job, right? But this is no bubble because every time, every day I turn around, players are leaving the bubble left and right to go tend to family matters. I, I just, it's, it, the season is a week away, people. What what are we doing here? Um, they did say that there were zero positive tests of 346 players within the bubble. So like I said, in those terms, that's good. Like I said, season to begin July 30th, that's five days away. So, you know, we got to get these players back in this bubble. Now, Steven Adams, second guy I saw besides Dame Lillard to have his birthday in the bubble. That was on Monday. He turned 27, and he was asked about life inside the bubble, and here was his response. This was a very, very peculiar one. Listen to this. Uh, it's all good, mate. Um, let's, get, let's be clear, mate. This, this is not Syria, mate. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not that hard. It's not that difficult, mate. You know what I mean? It's, we're living in a bloody resort, you know. Everyone's got to complain. Everyone has their own preferences, mate. But you know, it's not—it's not anything too serious. It's just a bit of a bit of dry food here and there, and yeah, get bored every now and then. It's all good, man. It's pretty cool. It's actually pretty cool because you actually um, get to interact with uh, a couple of the other teams, plays on the other teams, you know. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah, because you know the NBA was mulling Disney and Syria as the other location to play in the NBA bubble. I I don't know where that came from, but to his point, they are living in a resort. Stop complaining. You know, you have all the amenities in the world. You play a sport for a living and just suck it up. Uh, You know, Steven Adams, Australian kid, comes from, I think, a family of like nine or 12 siblings, something absolutely ridiculous. Um, So yeah, he's just making a funny point there. Now, the NBA restart, I also read, will not have any decision on individual awards. So what does that mean? Well, no matter what they do in this bubble, it will not influence MVP voting or Defensive Player of the Year awards or any of those individual awards, which is why are we even playing the rest of this season if that doesn't count. I know we play for the championship, but of course there's going to be an asterisk next to that because some teams might have players that opted out of the season and they're going to say it didn't mean as much as a regular season. I mean, this is a joke. So basically voters have to take into consideration every game up until March 11th and nothing thereafter. So if LeBron and Giannis, who are the top two um, in line, you know, vying for MVP, if they have to... I mean, if they go out and say Giannis chokes like out of his mind, like he, you know, typically does in the playoffs and can't get over the hump, and then LeBron goes out there and absolutely dominates 30 points a game, goes out, wins a title, MVP of, of the, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the NBA championship, right? NBA finals. 
if he does all that, you're telling me that doesn't influence the the MVP voting, and then Giannis just gets it because he was better up until March. That's a it's a ridiculous. I mean, what are we what are we doing here? And I've generally been on board with what the NBA has been doing and how well Adam Silver has been handling everything. But this is a joke. I'm sorry. Uh, you can't tell they're playing games. It has to count towards the individual awards. It it, it just makes no sense. Anyway, let's talk some good news for the Houston Rockets. Russell Westbrook, after testing positive for coronavirus, finally arrived to Orlando on Monday. He's tested negative twice now, clearing the way for him to join his teammates there. He was going through a precautionary two-day quarantine just to be safe, okay? And, um, excuse me, he did end up playing in the team's first scrimmage, played about 15 minutes, and and according to Mike D'Antoni, he looked like his old self, so that's good there. Um, okay, next up, Giannis. Speaking of MVP voting, he will probably win it because nothing now counts. But Giannis, earlier on in the quarantine period, he explained how he didn't have access to a hoop, so he was a little concerned because he's going to be rusty and he has no you know, way to practice. He doesn't have a gym at his home, stuff like that. Well, it turned out that was all a big fabricated lie because he wanted to get a leg up on the competition and maybe have other players thinking that he was going to be rusty so then he could just you know, come out and kill it on the basketball court. So, uh, you know, a bit of an interesting strategy there. Um, I thought I had sound on that, but I guess not. He did go on to say that he's not focused on the MVP trophy. Obviously, you can't be focused on it because nothing you do now matters towards that MVP voting. So, duh. Anyway. Next up, Pat Beverly. He left the bubble for emergency personal matter. I love this. Everybody's just leaving to tend to a personal emergency family matter. He's the second Clipper to leave. Obviously, Montrez Harrell also left. And not good if the Clippers want to win a title. They are going to need these guys. And we would later find out yesterday that Lou Williams also left the bubble. Their leading scorer from Wednesday's scrimmage. Okay, the NBA unveiled its court for Black Lives Matter, uh, excuse me, the NBA unveiled their courts that they're going to use for this restart. There's a big Black Lives Matter logo. The message is written in large, bold print. There were noticeable changes on the sidelines as well, including spacing of socially distanced benches, and the court is surrounded by large video screens where virtual fans and signage could pop up. That sounds pretty cool. On Wednesday, we saw four tune-up scrimmages. The Clippers beat the Magic 99-90. to The Nuggets were the talk of the day. They beat the Wizards 89-82. Bull Bull making his first uh, appearance in an NBA game, the 7-2 center out of Oregon, was absolutely on fire. This kid, uh, nobody at 7-2 should move like him. I mean, he was moving a little bit like a point guard, dribbling up the court, popping threes, finishing at the rim with the Euro step. He finished with 16 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 blocks. And the average height of the starting lineup that the Nuggets employed uh, during this scrimmage was 82.4 inches, or about 6'9". They had three 7-footers in the starting lineup, including Nikola Jokic, who was playing the point. According to Elias, no 7-foot player has ever started a point guard in the regular season or playoffs. Don't count on this being a thing. They will start, the, you know, when the restart begins and they start this 
up again with the eight regular season games. No shot is Jokic going to be playing the point ever. Okay, the second game, you had the Heat taking on the Kings. They would uh, down them 104-98. Duncan Robinson got off to a hot start. Four of five from three early on, finished with 18 points. And then finally, you know, you had my Brooklyn Nets absolutely getting trounced by a Zion-list Pelican squad, 99-68. to This team is in big-time trouble. Um, okay, let's see. Zion, that's right. Back to the Pelicans. Yay, somebody that's extremely happy, J.J. Redick, because Zion Williamson did return. He tested um, and tested negative each day. He was away, so coming back into the bubble, he just has to quarantine for those four days, which is good news. Like I said, Lou Williams also, we found out yesterday, left the bubble to tend to a family matter. He is expected back. You have Austin Rivers, who also left. Austin Rivers of the Houston Rockets, son of Doc Rivers, coach of the Clippers, which I find intriguing because if there was an urgent family matter and Austin Rivers had to leave, why is Doc Rivers not leaving? Now, I don't know Austin Rivers' status, whether he's married or not, and maybe it was something with that, but that's a little perplexing that he would leave and his dad would stay. Uh, Maybe it was one or the other and he just decided to leave. And then also on top of that, you have DeMontis Sabonis of the, uh, uh, of the, wow, Indianapolis Pacers. Thank you. Couldn't remember that name. Uh, He left the bubble because he's dealing with a bad injury that will likely require surgery. All right. Last bit of news here. Some some extra bit of stuff that I want uh, wanted to get to might have missed after months of this is bizarre. Just ap- like if this week couldn't get any weirder with the baseball with no fans and all that stuff, this just took a turn. Uh, he, there's been months of speculation. I know you've seen the videos of Mike Tyson working out, but he is officially making a comeback to the ring. I I mean he's 54 years old. He will fight Roy Jones Jr. in an eight-round September 12th exhibition match in Carson, California. The last time Tyson fought was 15 years ago. So why is he fighting at the ripe age of 54? It's because I can do it. And um, I, I can do it. And I believe other people believe they can do it, too. Just because um, we're 54, that don't mean we have to start a new career and our life is totally over. Not when you feel as beautiful as I do, and I'm sure other people feel the same way. So there you have it. That's exactly why he's fighting. Iron Mike believes for sure. What's crazy is also on the undercard to this fight, you are going to have YouTuber Jake Paul, who we know has fought before. He is going to be fighting former NBA dunk champion Nate Robinson. This is going to be an interesting one because Jake Paul, he's no slouch. He's a big kid, and he's lengthy. And Nate Robinson is somewhat of a midget like myself. Granted, he's got hops, but I don't know how he's going to be, how this is going to work out in a fight. Uh, I'm not about to, you know, bet against an NBA, you know, an NBA dunk champ or anything like that, but I don't know. But all I know is, you know, sign me up for this one because it might break records. September 12th, uh, September 12th is the date. Book it in your calendar. Wow, this should be fun to watch. If not any, if, you know, anything else, it's going to be entertaining. It might be sloppy. It might look terrible, but it's one of those things that it's, 
you're not going to be able to take your, it's going to be so terrible you're not going to be able to take your eyes off it okay the WNBA returns today it returned about two hours ago at 12 you have Sabrina Ionescu making her debut okay former number one overall pick and then also uh what to watch this weekend Baseball, obviously, duh. You've also got the 3M Open, which is currently underway in the third round. There's really not a lot of not a lot of star power in this one. You saw Dustin Johnson pulling out after a 78 in the opening round due to a back issue. Um, just really not too much going on um, there. Let me just get the updated standings real quick. You have... I believe I saw Matt Wolf was sort of in contention here, just 21 years old. You have uh, Wierenski right now at 13 under. Fratelli, uh, I mean, some of these names I don't even recognize. Tringale, Nick Watney, uh, Tony Finau, who contended a little bit last week, who, by the way, I was totally on cue with that. I called John Rahm winning, and I said Tony Finau was going to falter, and he did falter. He dropped four strokes and was totally out of it. So I was on the money there, but you got a guy like Finau in fifth place here, back three strokes back. This is a tournament that I would look to see Finau maybe contend tomorrow because there's not a lot of big names in this one. You're not going to have a lot of people watching it with baseball back. This could be a one. This could be one that he pulls out out of you know kind of nowhere here, out of this you know fifth spot here. Nobody really expecting it. So I could see that happening. And then you've got UFC Fight Night, which is on two nights. You could catch that. Also, real quick, I don't want to forget this. We have one player from the Kansas City Chiefs, first NFL player to opt out of his contract for the 2020 season due to COVID concerns. It is uh, Laurent Deverney Tardif, offensive lineman, uh, Chiefs guard. He says he's going to sit out. Okay. Um, he's the only medical doctor on an NFL roster. This guy has made headlines because he's got a doctorate and, and all this stuff. He announced on Friday, excuse me, on Twitter last night that he is going to sit out the season. He has been a starter at right guard for the chiefs for the past five seasons and he is the first active NFL player to graduate from medical school, which is just unbelievable. In the aftermath of COVID, he's been working as an orderly. I believe he's from Canada. So that's kind of cool. And, you know, hey, if you're going to opt out of a season and take, you know, not take any money, that is a great reason to do so. So congratulations to him for doing some good work there. Um, what else? Anything else that I want to bring up? Not really. Okay, so that just about does it. We're an hour three in. I didn't want to break that hour mark, but there was a lot going on with the with baseball being back. Finally, last but not least, on this date in sports, here's a baseball one for you. In 2015, Cole Hamels threw his first career no-hitter, blanking the Cubs five to nothing at Wrigley Field. It actually would wound up being Hamels' final start as a Philly, excuse me, as he was traded to the Rangers less than a week later. And speaking of Cole Hamels, Braves signed him to a one-year deal. He has been placed on the IL, and it's not looking good. I think he's dealing with a back injury, so rough there. Rough go there for him in his first year with the Braves. Okay, guys, that's going to wrap this thing up. 
Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy baseball. I'm going to go enjoy it right now myself as I upload this um, so you guys can listen either tomorrow morning or on your drive into work. Stay safe. Enjoy this nice weather. Have a good one because baseball is back. Time to play some baseball. I can do baseball. Me too. If we can play baseball, I'm in. Oh, we're doing baseball? Yep. Hang on. <laughs>